Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. Nekadma Fanav. We will present or bring in front of, it's masculinized because it's Hebrew, his face. Betoda in gratitude. Bismi wrote in song, in praising song, Narialo, we will sing out to him. We will come before God in gratitude and we will sing out songs of praise. That's the pshat. Let me build kind of a meandering drash to it. And it starts with one of my most favorite topics from outside the canon these days, and that is the writing and the thinking of Malcolm Gladwell. I think it's one of the more interesting minds we have in the world right now. Some people, I don't understand this critique, some people think of him as a hack. They think that he's he lacks um, sophistication, intellectual sophistication. I, I think the exact opposite. I think that his writings about um, how the world operates and how we operate in it uh, make, me, make me think mo- more expansively than just about anyone else that I read these days, aside from maybe uh, the anthropologist Yuval Noah Harari, and I'd love to see the two of them in a podcast together. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast called Revisionist History, and the first episode of the fifth season, and I think the fifth season is still going on right now, focuses, believe it or not, on hoarding. Hoarding. Um, we all have an interesting relationship with stuff. And if you're sensitive to piles of stuff building up in a home, particularly in a home that you might eventually have to clear out one day, it's very easy to look askance on hoarding. Why can't someone realize when something deserves to be in the trash? Why is an accumulation of things um, something that someone has to work towards and be so devoted to? Why can't we just get rid of things? And he has an interview with a phenomenal psychologist whose name I forgot. I, I shouldn't have forgotten it, but I have who's done a lot of research into hoarding. And he says, we're getting something wrong when we try to understand the mind of the hoarder. Previous psychology believed that hoarding was similar to an obsessive compulsive reaction to things and to reality. He says, but there's a very significant difference. An obsessive compulsive is a reaction to a negative stimulus. It's an overreaction to a negative stimulus. Most of us who are not in a pathological relationship with these things, all of us have, have sub-pathological relationships with all of these parts of being human. Most of us, when we respond to a negative stimulus, the response is in kind. And we have things in place to prevent us from overreacting and therefore having that ruining our reality and our behavior. Those who suffer near pathologically or pathologically from an obsessive compulsive disorder, they cannot stop their emotional nervous system from over-responding to a negative stimulus. And that makes them nervous and paranoid and pushes them into behavior that can be destructive to themselves and certainly irritating to others. But this psychologist says that's not hoarding. Hoarding is almost the opposite. Hoarding is not an oversensitivity to a negative stimulus. Hoarding is an oversensitivity to a positive stimulus. Someone who is maybe weighed down with the behavior patterns of someone who hoards, in his or her emotional system, they experience mundane things, 
totally differently than those of us experience mundane things. That newspaper article that we can easily put into the recycling bin to someone of this emotional makeup brings back a flood of associations and memories and nostalgia. And they fear erroneously, that's what makes it perhaps pathologically, that if they get rid of the thing, they get rid of the memory, they get rid of that moment in life. And that memory is positive and the moment is life and positive. And so they don't want to get rid of the thing. And this is not all conscious, by the way, it's unconscious. Then that, that moment is gone. Those of us who have uh, less than a pathological relationship with this idea recognize that the memory can continue. And even the memory that eventually disappears from our mind, that's part of what it means to be human. But this very generous understanding of this phenomenon valorizes the idea that it's possible to look at something that is utterly mundane to someone else. And to you, it's a banner, it's a sign, it's a nace, it's a miracle, it's extraordinary. The episode um, focused on Andy Warhol, the great and iconoclastic artist who was a classic hoarder. And he talks about the fact that the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh is an indiscriminate collection of an indiscriminate collection because Andy Warhol was an indiscriminate collector of stuff. And so the museum basically embodied that and is just an indiscriminate collection of his indiscriminate collection. But Andy Warhol also had a lot of beautiful things about how he saw the world. And he said the following quote, which I think is very, very Jewish, very Modeani, very Alhanisim. If everyone isn't beautiful, then no one is beautiful. If everyone is not beautiful, then no one is beautiful. If it's not possible to find beauty in everyone, then it ought not be possible to buy, find beauty in anyone. Apply that to thing. If everything is not extraordinary, then nothing is extraordinary. That's the inverse of how we sometimes think about the relationship between things, right? If nothing, if everything is the same temperature, then there can be no such thing as hot and cold. You need good for there to be evil. You need dark for there to be light. You need conceptual ugliness for there to be conceptual beauty. Warhol and this approach to life would say, no. If, if, if you cannot find beauty in every face, then you cannot find beauty in any face. And if you cannot find beauty in every thing in your home, then you shouldn't be able to find beauty in anything in your home. And if there's not something extraordinary, this is now my riffing on Warhol, about every moment, if every moment is not a modi'ani moment, if every moment is not a bracha moment, if every moment is not a shechiyano moment, then maybe none is. But since we don't believe that none is, we must believe that all are. It's very hard to live that way, right? There's a reason why a Jew says modi'ani only once in a day. We, you can't per se modi'ani at every breath. And it's true that if every Jewish moment had a Shekhyanu, then the times that we said it would begin to feel less significant. But we overdo that instinct, I would say. And I think Heschel would say. We overdo the instinct to tamp down wonder so that we can have moments of greater wonder. We overdo the instinct of making hills look smaller so that Everest feels bigger rather than try to live our life on a series of peaks. A hoarder, according to this idea, 
maybe overdoes it, but tries to live or doesn't try, just happens to live on a series of peaks where every one of those things is a significant reminder of something meaningful and beautiful. Some of you know that um, my family is a, a recent owner of an uh, adopted dog. We adopted a dog um, around September. And uh, I grew up having dogs. And it's the first time that I've really taken care of a dog in many, many decades. And taking care of Paddington and watching his zeal when we take him out of the house remind me of something I heard a long time ago. You're standing at your front door and you open your door. And, you know, you see what you see and you smell what you smell. Maybe you'll smell, you know, you know, the honeysuckle wafting in the air and you'll see the pretty sky. When a dog has a door open in front of him or her, it's wow! Because his olfactory sensitivities are so heightened that every smell is like he's being released as a child into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. The excitement has to do, not, it's not a psychological ex excitement. It's, it's actually a sensory excitement because he or she smells differently than you and I smell. And so everything is an extraordinary thing. And that's why it's so exciting every time we open the same door to the same yard, to the same tree, Paddington reacts as if he's just been liberated from prison. We can joke about that. And we can say that's very dog-like and very Warhol-like. Or we can try to have a more serious relationship with it and say that's very Jew-like. That's very wonder-like. It's very wonderful to be able to see wonder in things that others see blandness in. Nekadma fanav until we begin Friday night service after the Chunaranana. Let us come before God in Toda, in that, and I began this way, the beginning of Hamalot, acknowledgement, gratitude as the same thing. Let us try to walk before God in acknowledgement, gratitude. And if so, how can we not bismirot nalirialo? How can we not sing out in praising song? If you really are seeing life through that prism, then praising song is the only real response to God, to a loved one, to reality itself. I want to ask you to close your eyes a second. And I give the same caveat that I give any time that I'm engaging in this kind of a moment with those who some of whom are deeply into a meditative world and are comfortable with that mode and some consider it to be a little more foreign and they might be suspicious of it. If you're someone who meditates, you can consider this a meditation. And if you're someone who doesn't, just don't overthink it. Just listen to my voice. And if you're in a room with someone else right now, you don't have to overthink whether everyone in the room is doing it. Cultivate the ability of self-containment, of being full and complete in who and what and how you are, independent of what is proximate to you. 
It's a tremendous ability to cultivate not only for meditation and prayer, but in order to withstand the vicissitudes of this life that we're living. Orient yourself spatially in the room with your eyes closed. Imagine where you are, see it. See it with closed eyes. You can see yourself in the chair or on the couch. And you can see that seat within the room that you find yourself. And that room within the home. And that home within the neighborhood in the street. And you keep pulling out. So you see exactly what your GPS is. Not just know it, but see it. And at the same time, and we like to cultivate these paradoxes in our meditations, you're also everywhere and nowhere in addition to being somewhere. So your wonderful mind can imagine you floating in and out of space and time, untethered to the particular spot that your body is. Your mind and your spirit can be a meanderer. You feel the sense of warmth and serenity that comes over your body as you close your eyes, not for sleep, but for poised rest. Let your mind wrap around those words in Hebrew or English. Let us come before God in the type of acknowledgement that not only leads to, but is gratitude. Bismirot Narielo. Let us sing out to God with praise. I want to let your mind, I want to invite your mind to wander to a thing, an object or a person, or a moment that could be considered banal, hard, mundane, worthy of being dismissed. But that you choose to see as beautiful. something not to be discarded, a nace, a banner, a miracle. With respect to this person or this thing or this moment, invite yourself to be a temporary Order 
who collects, who delights, who embraces, sees beauty in every, and therefore who does not want to get rid of. What does it feel to react this indiscriminately? To suspend the judgment of our minds that divides between the important and the unimportant just for a moment. And considers our apertures to be as open as the smelling sense of a dog with it all wonderful. What does that feel like in your body? What person or thing comes back to you in import because of this attitude? How long can you sustain this way? How frequently can you beckon it into your consciousness? How is it really to live with wonder? You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.